Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Potter is spooked by his former club leads, pull off a shock victory, and we've got a Champions League preview. As joining myself, Matt Frolicard today, of course, Dan Burke. Ah, oh, Dan Burke. That's his, that's Our, <laughs> is, that, is that like a proper Manchester thing, like our kid? Our oh, kid, Burke. yeah, that's true, yeah. <laughs> I was at Manchester this weekend. We'll get on to were, it yeah. a little bit. Old Trafford and the temptation to call everyone our kid was a bit mm. too much for me. I feel well, like... I mean, some might argue that Old Trafford isn't Manchester, so... Oh, okay, true. I did see Withenshaw <laughs> on the map, right? That's where oh, you're yeah. from? That's right, yeah. Did, was there a plaque up or anything to say Dan Burke was born here? Yeah, <laughs> I didn't make it out there. Well, those I blue kind of, signs you should have, yeah. <laughs> yeah, weirdly enough, I made it out to Stockport for uh, to, oh, yeah. to see a couple of mates. I didn't think I'd ever be there in my life, to be honest with you. You probably um, never go again, will you? I probably never go back. But there we go. All in a fun weekend <laughs> in Manchester. As I mentioned, we'll get that. Uh, we'll get onto that a little bit later on. Uh, we'll start in the Premier League with Brighton, who absolutely, I think the word is demolished Chelsea <laughs> 4-1. There were two own goals in this game, which isn't ideal. Uh, I actually mentioned on my preview in the weekend, is it weird or is it acceptable, I guess, to say that all of the players knew Potter's system and therefore were able to counteract it? Or is that maybe a bit too kind of obvious? Yeah, this may be something that actually, yeah, sort of a case of familiarity breeds contempt. I don't know if um, Mm. it might be the case that they were especially fired up for this one as well, with it being their old manager and they they, uh, wanted to prove a point against him. And there was some boos in the crowd for Potter, wasn't it? Which I thought was a little bit harsh, really, considering that he's... uh, did such a good job with Brighton, really, and, and couldn't really turn the Chelsea job down when that came up. It was uh, it was a no-brainer for him, really. But, uh, you know, football has a funny way of serving up uh, a little bit of karma, you might call it, or mm. just desserts, or whatever you want to call it. You know, I don't think Graham Potter really deserved that, but that's exactly what he got on his uh, his first return to his old club with a sensational Brighton performance. I mean, that's that's on their first win on Deserby, of course, so it's not as if everything's been going swimmingly without him, but um, you might think that this is something they can really build on now. And uh, Yeah, it's odd. Every time I see Brighton play well, it's normally Trossard and mm. Pascal Gross are the ones doing the business, and I feel like they should be doing better. Because when, when they play well, you assume, oh, they must have been doing this for a while. They're really consistent, really well. But they never quite seem to get it together. Is that because they are still getting used to things under De Zerbi? How much, how much would it be foolish of him to try and change what they were doing before under Potter? I think it has been quite marginal, the changes that he's made, actually, De Zerbi. And I think um, they, they did have to hit the reset button a little bit, as you always do when a new manager comes in. You know, He's very new to the league and um, very new to the culture and you know he speaks good English but you know it's it's a different it's a change isn't it when you get a new manager things are always going to change whatever industry you're in whether it be football or anything else there's always going to be a bit of a, an adaptation period and I think they've come through that now I think they were really good against City last week actually Brighton a bit unlucky to lose that game um, really good like tight man-to-man marking was something that you, you don't see too often anymore but that was that was something that they deployed against City and it worked to pretty good effect it was only really the fact that City got a penalty and that that sort of bizarre goal yeah. where Edison assists Haaland that, that they broke the deadlock there. So it kind of worked against Chelsea, who are obviously not as good a, good a team as City and are having their own struggles. I mean, what, I think it was nine games unbeaten under Potter before yeah, this game, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. So, But I, I never watched Chelsea and thought, wow, they look really good. You know, it's like you can tell it's kind of building quite slowly with, with Potter and uh, and yeah, they were well beaten. I mean, they, they sort of dominated possession and, and stuff, but they, they were well beaten by by Brighton. And that uh, that Trossard goal, the first one, I thought it was a brilliant goal. That really, really, really great finish from him. The, the feet well was taken. the feet were brilliant. Yeah. 
I, I always think that to go around a goalkeeper at such close quarters who can use his hands and yeah. lie on the floor is even more exceptional. What a goal. And the way he found the sort of far bottom corner as well yeah. on his left foot was really good. So, yeah, we talked about him a lot on the podcast, I think, haven't we? He's a really good mm. player. I think there'll be a few clubs sniffing around him. He, he sort of reeks of Liverpool, me. I, I, I think me, so. I think, yeah, because I could see him ended up there at some point, yeah. I was I was really annoyed because fancy Premier League, I always had Gross or Trossard in. And whichever one I had in, the other one would do well. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to take both of them out. And I'm going to put Alexander Awobi in because he's doing really well at Everton. And their nil-nil at Fulham is the only mention of that game that they'll get on the podcast. I don't play FPL because it, it stress, football stresses me out enough as it is without <laughs> having to play the, add, add that element to it. But did you, uh, did you get Haaland out of your team this week or did you have a minute I, to start with? Yeah, the thing is, everyone's captained Haaland, obviously, yeah. and I didn't, I thought I can't be bothered with the risk, not really the risk, but just take him out and putting him back in again is expensive, this, that and the other, whatever. Mm. And obviously, I, I didn't know if he was actually going to play or not, um, but I had De Bruyne as vice captain, who um, oh, okay. who hit a little bit of a stunning free kick in, mm. in, in kind of what was that only really point of note in that game, to be honest. Um, so yeah, <laughs> yeah it was terrible that game. Yeah, it, it wasn't. It wasn't ideal. Was that that was Saturday lunchtime, wasn't it? Yeah, it just sort of seemed to fly by. Um, but as for Brighton, pretty good result. It takes them up to eighth. Um, is there still? We mentioned a new manager coming in. Is there still a possibility that they could push on even further and break into the top six this season? Because it would be quite unprecedented, I say, for a manager to take over and then just continue their rise because a lot of it was down to Potter. Yeah, I would be surprised if that happened. I think like an eighth place finish will be really, really good for them. You know, you are. I think you, this season we are looking at the big six, um, and I would say Newcastle are probably the mm-hmm. best equipped team to break into that at the moment. Obviously, they are inside that that group at the moment uh, in the league table. And Brighton, I would say, probably just don't quite have the staying power to like really break into it. But I think they have. Uh, you know, a really good chance of being one of the best mm. of the rest. So I would say like seventh, eighth would be about reasonable for them. And I think that's, you know, a good start for them. A, a bit of progress. I don't think, have they ever finished that high before? I don't think they have, have they? Uh, no. Yeah. And then for Deserby to kind of pick up the mantle from Potter and, and finish there, I think will be a really, really encouraging start for them. So yeah, I've been impressed with them under, under him so far. He looks like a good coach uh, and uh, plays some nice football and they've got a, a good result to show for it now. You said there's going to be the top six at the end of the season. I wonder whether that includes Liverpool. <laughs> that is the big question because yeah. they lost two one at home to Leeds. <laughs> yeah. We saw we saw Premier League Liverpool. There seems to be for <laughs> some reason this mass distinction between Champions League Liverpool and Premier League Liverpool. And the Champions League Liverpool uh, were brilliant away at Ajax in midweek. They've got Napoli, which we'll get onto in a little bit this week. Um and sandwich that with two Premier League losses away to Notts Forest and then home to Leeds United. Is it just injuries? Is it just tiredness? And if so, why are none of the other top six facing this apart from? I mean, this is this is getting bad for Liverpool now, isn't it? I think. I I mean, you looked at the when they played City a few weeks ago when they beat City, and I thought, hmm, I I could see them kind of this really kickstarting their season now, and they're getting back on track, getting back into the title race, uh, really gaining ground. Um, They've lost both games in the Premier League since then, as you say, Mm. and have any ground that they gained on on City and Arsenal has been lost now. I think they're. 13 points behind. 13 points, yeah. Behind City and what's that, 15 behind Arsenal. So it's yeah. just, the, the league title is gone now, isn't it, already, which is not great at the end of mm. October. I think injuries have been a factor for them this season, but I think there's more to it than that. I think, you know, 
We've heard a lot of talk about how Liverpool are coming off the back of a season where they almost won everything. They played every single game imaginable last season. Um, and that has taken its toll emotionally and physically, I think. like they've, they've found it hard to get going again this season, which is to be be expected. Maybe you've seen a bit of the kind of burnout that uh, Klopp, uh, you know, we famously saw at the end of Klopp's mm. Dortmund reign. It's kind of that the drop-off has been quite significant. Um, I think you're also in a situation where the World Cup is coming up and I think everybody in the league, every team in the league is showing a bit of awareness of that now and players are wary about getting injured and missing the World Cup. And I think that's compounded Liverpool's problems as well. Um, I mean, I think still, I think Klopp is still a very, very good manager who's done a very, very, very good job at Liverpool. But I think they should be doing better than they are at the moment. I think that's fair enough, even with all of those circumstances. And they just look very... I mean, he was asked in a press conference today about a lack of fight and he kind of dismissed that and said, uh, you know, he, he wants to see... His, his players are fighting all the time and he, he wants to see a bit more of that from them. And we're begins to think that maybe there is a bit of that, maybe there is a bit of uh, fatigue set in and uh, emotional, mental fatigue as well. That His message isn't quite getting through to the players anymore. His system isn't working. He's tried to tweak the system a little bit this summer, especially since the signing of Darwin Nunes, and it's just mm. not nothing's going right for them, really. Um, I thought they played quite well against City the other week, and I thought they were probably a bit unlucky to lose against Nottingham Forest, but I think... You know, from what I saw of the Leeds Liverpool game, it was probably a fair result. Actually, I think Leeds deserved to win and got the win just right at the end. There, you know, that you look at the goal Liverpool conceded the first goal. Um, Gomez passing back oh, to Allison and uh, poor, yeah, yeah, it's just like stuff like that. It's just that was not happening to Liverpool in the past. Van Dijk is looking very poor at the moment. I think he's he's. Uh, you know, there was those stats going around a few years ago about how people couldn't dribble past Van Dijk, and now it's kind of the case where he's uh, almost like backing off so that he doesn't want to get beaten by opposing yeah. uh, attackers. And that's what happened with that, that late goal, that late winning goal. So, yeah, I think Liverpool's performances are, uh, you know, their, their position at the table is where their performances deserve to be at the moment because they're just not good at all. And it's not like a, it's not a, a small problem anymore. I think it's becoming a real big problem. And I'm beginning to think that maybe this will be Klopp's last season at Liverpool, actually. Maybe he can, has taken them as far as he can to use the old cliché. Yeah, potentially. I was discussing the other day where he would go actually with a few with a few friends, and I think mm. Ancelotti's contract is up at the end of the season, but Real Madrid have got an option for a further year. Yeah, so there's there's some potential there. You might be right. It might be mental fatigue as well as physical fatigue. Yeah, um, it just doesn't. Whatever it is, just doesn't seem to be working. As for Leeds, we were talking about before the game. Oh, Jesse Marsh is in trouble. This, that, <laughs> and the other. I don't want to go to Anfield. Going to get absolutely pumped and then get fired. No, two one, a brilliant performance, and the unbelievably well named is it Crescencio Somerville? Is yeah, that, he's, am I pronouncing it right? He's Dutch, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, beautiful name, beautiful <laughs> goal, and just before his twenty first birthday, I believe. <laughs> it I sounds was, like he should be in a Jane Austen novel or something, <laughs> not a, a Dutch winger for Leeds. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I'm not Mr. sure. Mr. Somerville. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not sure Jane Austen could write a, a fairy tale like this. <laughs> and, um. Yeah, unbelievable. I I was trying to wrap my brain thinking what I was doing the night before my 21st birthday and it wasn't <laughs> scoring a winner at Anfield. Yeah. Uh, is, is this a really big catalyst now for Leeds and, and for Jesse Marshall? Do you see problems continuing and that's just a, a, a positive flash in the pan? I think the problems are going to probably still be there. I would be surprised if they just 
start winning games all of a sudden now. I think uh, the issues that they've got are still there. Um, yeah, it was a good win for them, definitely, and one that they really needed and one that Marsh needed because I think if he'd lost this game, uh, it, it probably would have been quite an easy one for Leeds to sack him after, actually. Yeah. But they probably anticipated a defeat and probably were sharpening the knives or, you know, sharpening the uh, the pen on the uh, uh, official announcement saying that he'd been sacked. So um, I think he'll it's earned him a bit of a stay of execution now and, you know, Seasons have turned around on smaller results than this, for sure. Um, I just still see them being a bit too wide open leads, a bit too easy to play through, especially at home. Um, they need to tighten up defensively. Mm. Um, you know, even in this game, Melier's made some great saves to keep them in it at times as well. Um, there's a bit of a lack of firepower. They need to get Patrick Bamford scored again. Uh, Rodrigo scored here, but I don't think he's a very mm. consistent goal scorer. Um, this is a good team in there. There's some good players in there, and I, I could see them staying up, but... Uh, the jury is still very much out on that for me. I still, I, th- I think that there's a lot of work needs to be done to kind of tighten them up. Do you think that a lot of these smaller teams? We, we mentioned it a few uh, a few podcasts ago. And, huh, offensive saying smaller teams there for Leeds, <laughs> big team, big big club, a lot of fans. Uh, the teams towards the bottom end of the table have to get things right quite quickly because they're always in danger of losing key players. I think Melia is one of you mentioned there, early 20s, brilliant keeper. He's now, you know, this is his third season with Leeds in the Premier League. Um, I believe he was in the Championship the year mm-hmm. before um, when they got promoted that, for example, let's say he leaves, let's say Spurs decide to replace Hugo Lloris with Melia. They're kind of not starting at square one again, but consistently losing your big players eventually has a, an effect on teams. We've seen it with Leicester, right? You can see it with other yeah. teams, the Southampton as well. Do you think they'll have basically enough, enough to not just fall down that slippery slope if they were to let one or two key players go? Well, I think I think the key for those, as you said, so-called smaller teams. Mm. Uh, we're going to get some complaints about that. Aren't we? Probably, but, <laughs> <laughs> like you need to, you need to get a manager in who can make you sort of greater than the sum of your parts, don't you? I think that is that is how um, teams have, have survived and and weathered that kind of storm of, of losing players all the time. Mm. You know, being, being a bit, having to be a bit of a selling club. It's not happened so much with Leeds actually. No, none of their players have really been poached in recent years. But I see what you mean. That that could happen, and, and mm. you, you do have to be wary of that. And yeah, I think it's about getting a a system in place whereby um, players can come in and out of the team and it not affect things too much. I think that's a bit of a problem for Leeds. They've got a decent enough first 11, but a, a quite a poor squad. Uh, yeah. You know, the, a lot of the squad players are very sort of meh players, really. And I think that is something that they need to cultivate a bit better, um, have a system that's a bit more, a bit more sort of Sean Dyche, Burnley-like almost, you know, like yeah. just like he, he managed to sort of get a tune out of a, out of a sort of, very average group of players really for a long time and keep it keep it sustainable. I don't know if how Leeds play the way that Marsh wants to play with the players that he's got is very sustainable. And that's the problem. They'll get the odd result against Liverpool here and there. They can give someone a good game on the day. But if they're losing at home to Fulham or, you know, teams of that ilk. They've got Bournemouth next week. Bournemouth, yeah. So that's like yeah. a good test for them that actually. Bournemouth are a, a, Bournemouth are kind of the, what I'm talking about actually, the way that Gary Neal Gary O'Neill has, has got them playing. Um, they just kind of stay in games and they don't get easily beaten and they're sort of quite difficult to beat. And, you know, they gave Spurs a good game at the weekend. We'll come on yeah, to that in a minute. Yeah, I, know, yeah, exactly. I know they lost in the end anyway. But they seem to, they're going to end up getting probably enough points to stay up, I would imagine, playing like that, whereas with Leeds, it's just all too flimsy and too hard to predict, I think. Yeah. 
Weirdly enough, I think that this is probably the most bizarre compliment I'll ever pay Sean Dyche, but what he did so well, he made the Burnley team so good without showcasing any individual stars that they were bought. Mm. Because Burnley were so good, no one ever went, right, who's the catalyst in that side at Turf Moor? We're going to buy them. Never really happened. I mean, Dwight McNeil left eventually, but that's because they were relegated. The same thing with Tarkovsky. So they managed to keep a lot of it together. But yeah, the the case of Brighton could be something similar. We mentioned, you know, let's say Trossard goes to Liverpool, like you suggest at the end of the season, right? That's losing Trossard, Potter and Kukurea all within the space of a year. That could be quite damaging to a team and you could see Brighton slip down the table. So we could see it happen. We could see it happen. I I hope not for Leeds because... I, I don't know. I I for one like Jesse Marsh. I think he comes across I do, yeah, as a really yeah. top guy. I was thinking actually, um, if they were to make the Damned United 2 about <laughs> this Leeds team, I think, you know, Jason Bateman, he would be a great uh, person to play Jesse Marsh. <laughs> You'd have to dye his hair a little bit blonde or something because his hair's yeah. a bit dark, but there's something about Jesse Marsh that really reminds me of Jason Bateman in, um, in Ozark. Through. I have, yeah. I was thinking about it while I was watching the game at the weekend, yeah. <laughs> That's what, that's what I spent most of the game thinking about, actually. So, yeah. You, you're just plotting movie characters alongside yeah. the Premier League. <laughs> you don't you don't waste your weekends, clearly. <laughs> uh, we spoke about Bournemouth very briefly just there, and they did lose 3-2 to Spurs. I must admit, this is going to make me sound like a terrible Spurs fan. I was um, in Manchester. I was watching the game, and I got a text from my mate saying, uh, come on, let's go to the pub. And I left watching the game at 2-0 to Bournemouth. <laughs> Did you? It was 2-0 and I thought, for God's sake, Spurs, I'm not watching this anymore. And I left. And about 40 minutes later, I checked my phone. And I was like, I'm a terrible person. I'm a terrible well, fan. I can't it believe it. It had the desired effects, <laughs> didn't it? So maybe you should uh, stop supporting Spurs or <laughs> yeah, just not that, watch any games That completely. was the problem. And they win like, the Champions League and yeah. the Premier League. And, yeah. That's the problem. Everyone's going to be like, Matt, don't watch any more games. Uh, they <laughs> did manage to turn it around eventually. I can't... I would definitely praise Bournemouth. I think, especially in the first half, they were brilliant. Mm. It seems to be this sort of Spurs team are doing ugly things without ever doing the beautiful things on the flip side of it. You know, when like a team wins <laughs> yeah. a championship and they play really well and they win one ugly one or one or two ugly ones. Spurs are doing the ugly ones without the beautiful championship winning football on the flip side. Um, does Conte sort of magically turn it around from here? Or as he keeps suggesting in every press conference, is there still a few more transfer windows to go before Spurs can start doing the beautiful stuff? Maybe so. I mean, I, but I thought Spurs were better towards the end of last season under Conte than yeah. they are at the moment. And, and you know, they argued they won the transfer window, didn't they, in the summer? Everyone was looking at the business that they did and thinking, wow, they've they've really strengthened. They've really added like a good spine to the team there. Um but I've, I've just not really seen a great deal from them to really encourage me that they're going to even finish top four at the moment. Um, results have been a bit up and down. You know, they could potentially get knocked out of the Champions League this week. They might not. Mm. Um, Conte, you know, I think Spurs would be very foolish to upset him. You know, you want to keep him happy and keep him there because I don't think you're going to get a better manager than him. But I would like to see a bit more from him as well. And I don't think he's got the balance right in terms of the attack yet. Um, the midfield seems a bit all over the place. The system is changing a little bit too much. I mean, what what do you think is going wrong with Spurs? Because it's hard to like. It, I mean, it's hard to analyse Spurs at the best of times, isn't it? Yeah. But this this one seems particularly difficult to put your finger it, on. I think. It does seem odd that he hasn't nailed down a tactic just yet. I mean, we're talking. We are on. Uh, what's today? The thirty first of October. Um, it's been a year since Nuno was sacked after that three 0 defeat to Manchester United, and I think Conte came in the second of November. So we're almost a year on. 
you're right. He did seem to do really well towards the end of last season. But when watching Inter Milan, especially, there was such a clear, not only a clear system, but there was such a clear style of play. The way they played out from the back, the way that Nico Barella was the one to burst forward and join the attack, the partnership between Martinez and Lukaku. For Spurs, it's, he just doesn't seem to be able to either play the system that he thinks will work best but then fit all of them in. Because when he's got Richarlison, Kulusevski both fit alongside, you know, Son and Kane, mm. you've got you've got to play three or four. And then if you play three, you've only got two in midfield. And if he's got three in midfield, you know, Skip, Basuma, Bentancourt, Hoybia, none of them are bursting forward and joining the attacking two, you know. Well, that, I, that's overkill as well. Like the, the lineup at the, the weekend was Hoiberg, Basuma and Skip. Like that's too many the of same those thing. Type of players for me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so it, maybe it does need a bit odd. of creativity there as well in that in that midfield position. Like I, I would say Spurs, if if they were going to go for a three-five-two, like we saw it into Milan from Antonio Conte, they need a number ten. There needs to be a creative player. You know, leave one. You know, leave two of Skip Basuma, mm. Bentacore, and Hoybier. Leave two of them, and someone a bit further forward, a number ten could be Kulusevski, yeah. uh, moving a, a bit more central. But yeah, it seems that Conte doesn't quite you know, have who he needs. I'd, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in the conversations with him and Daniel Levy, you know, to, to <laughs> I'd say... Love to know, I'd love know. to know what dirt Emerson Royale has on Conte, the fact that he gets, <laughs> yeah, keeps getting yeah. picked because he's a player who never fails to underwhelm me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, play, yeah. Unbelievable. I think, look, to be fair to him, I think quite a few Spurs players have been rather underwhelming. Mm. Um, but what I did see amazingly was Ivan Perisic has six assists this season for Spurs. Really? Uh, How many other corners? Yeah, well, this is what I mean. Like, I know it sounds like, oh, he's just put in a corner, but for a team that are notoriously poor from corners, Spurs have scored yeah. the most this season in the Premier League, I believe, with eight. Um, and for, yeah, Perisic gets six assists. You know, that's almost like bringing in a special teams in the NFL. <laughs> well, know, they can take him with both feet as well, can't he? Which it takes with both feet. And yeah. uh, brilliant. And yeah, it's kind of bizarre. If you were to say that Tottenham were to score three at the weekend, Sessignon <laughs> Davis and Bendencourt would not be <laughs> top of your list of goal scorers. Yeah. But I think they were about to take Sessignon off as well, weren't mm. they? I think before he scored, yeah. Rather underwhelming as well <laughs> for me, Sessignon. Yeah. Um, Gary O'Neill is in temporary charge at the minute at Bournemouth. I do believe. As far as I know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, can we see anyone in particular, any names standing out heading to the South Coast? I mean, he's earned the job as far as I'm yeah. concerned. I, I think they'd be mad to, to let anyone go. Well, whether it's it'll be the most long-term appointment, you know, you mm. you sometimes find with these uh, caretaker managers that as soon as they get the job permanently, uh, I don't know what the psychology behind it is, but maybe they get a bit too comfortable or a bit mm. complacent or... Um, it is a bit of a new manager bounce thing that can't be transferred over a long period of time. But yeah, I think he's he's earned a, earned a go at it. Um, I think it'd be his first proper job in management and it's, mm. you know, being thrown in the deep end really. But I, I've been really impressed with him for the most part uh, since he took, took over. So, you know, maybe they would go for a Sean Dyche or someone like that to keep him in the league if, mm. if things start going south again. But for now, I think uh, give it Gary to the I, end of I- the season. I, I think that. I think if it comes to March-April time and they're in a bit of a relegation fight, the temptation to sack him and bring in someone like that would might be a bit too much for them to ignore. Uh, we'll yeah. move on to our final Premier League game. And this is a sort of... It's another one of my little trips to Manchester. <laughs> we, we The one football team we're in, we're at Old Trafford. Um, Manchester United won West Ham nil. Marcus Rashford header, which was brilliant, mm. by the way, at the back post. Really, really went for it. Um, 
I thought it was an entertaining game because United let West Ham back into it in the second half. As, as weird as that sounds, it wasn't because they were so brilliant. It was because it was actually quite even. I think David De Gea was unbelievable. Yeah. I know he gets a lot of crap and, uh, you know, he's not in this Spanish 55-man World Cup squad or something ridiculous I saw the other day. Is he not? No, yeah. um, they've got five keepers ahead of him. So I Unai Simon's got that sort of nailed down now, hasn't yeah. he? Seems, yeah. But- and there, there was a few others in there too. I think David Raya as well was in there from uh, from Brentford. But on this on this showing, and with Kepper injured as well, uh, after coming off of Chelsea, I think De Gea probably has earned a bit of a recall ahead of the World Cup if there was ever a good time to put on a top performance. Yeah. Um, what did you make of the game? Did you think Man United would just deserve winners or West Ham Just still about, unlucky? I would say, yeah, West Ham were unlucky. And I think um, West Ham, you know, in the past few years have been really good, haven't they? And you would sort of back them going into any game against anyone in the league to to do something now and again. You know, mm. they, they could pull off good results. They've had a slight struggle uh, this season, I think. You know, they haven't started the season particularly well. I think since the, since the international break, they've, they've been getting a bit better. Results have improved a little bit and they were a bit unlucky here. That one that, uh, well, uh, Antonio had a great effort from range that De Gea made a great save from and Declan Rice, Rice had one right as well. Yeah. Oh, what a shot. Yeah, yeah. So a bit unfortunate in, in that respect, but I think yeah, United j- did just edge it. I think it was interesting performance for Rashford because you know he's someone I've, who I've looked at as a as United's main sort of weak spot at the moment. Mm. I think in terms of attack, I don't think he's he's sort of contributing enough goals and um, getting in some good positions and wasting some good chances. But you saw the way he took that goal, and you think actually, you know, there's still a player in there somewhere. There's still um, something that United can use there, uh, at least for the time being. At least yeah. until maybe next summer when they can perhaps afford to splash out on, on someone big. I think he's, the thing is about Rashford, I heard the other day he scored more this season actually than he had last season, but last season he only got five. So I'm not quite sure yeah. that's quite setting, you know, setting the Premier League alight. Yeah. And he was playing, he was, I think he was deployed on the flank pretty much mm. all of the time last season, I would say, uh, where he's playing a bit more centrally now. And that seems to suit him better. I'm just not convinced that he is like, you know, that kind of, um, uh, natural born killer in front of goal mm. you need to be really uh, in the long term and I think with him you know he, he when he when he started his career when he when he came through the academy and, and made such a blistering start to his career and there was so much hype and excitement about him he's never really lived up to those heights he still has a really good career and he's still yeah. you know contributed an awful lot um, scored a fair amount of goals you know played for England regularly so and he's still a young man what is he 23 or something he's, tw- he's 25 today 25 fact. today it's his right, birthday. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah which is still young you know he's yeah. still this is he's not even at his peak yet so yeah. um and i think you know there's a time last season when it looked like uh, maybe over the summer in fact where it looked like he was his days at old trafford were numbered and he was potentially wanting to get out of the club he wasn't getting games uh, under solskjaer and rangnick and for him to be the main fella leading the attack again i think is good for him and good for United. So, yeah, good good to see, actually. And I think, you know, he he's one who, his place in England's World Cup squad isn't assured, but I think mm. if he hits a bit of form at the right time, i.e. now, in the next couple of weeks, then uh, he might just earn himself a spot on the plane. And De Gea as well, yeah. So, he um, he's had problems during his recent years at United, mm. I think, um, having been one of the best keepers, if not the best keeper in the world at one point. And, 
I think there are reservations about his ability with his, the ball at his feet, which I think is a problem if you want to play for Eric Ten Hag. I think long-term, he's going to be looking for someone who can distribute the ball a bit better with the feet. And he is a bit error-prone, which has not really come to the fore this season, I don't think, but he mm. made some horrendous errors last season. But when it, terms, when it comes to shot-stopping, there aren't many better keepers in the world than him still, I don't think. And he has the ability to make some incredible saves yeah. and kind of be a match winner for United like that. So... I think his contract's up at the end of the season, and I think yeah, I believe some, so. You know, again, he's he's probably hit form at the right time, uh, where maybe he can get himself a new contract. Uh, he might not go to the World Cup, but that's uh, that's something that he can build towards now—a new contract at United. And uh, yeah, we'll just see if they, if that's another position they look to upgrade on next summer, or whether they stick with him and, and see how that goes. I have to say, the save from Antonio's header at the front post was unbelievable. Yeah. Where I was sat, it was literally being cheered around me like a goal. <laughs> I, I stopped and applauded. I was like, that is phenomenal goalkeeping. And I don't know too much about goalkeeping, but that was that was unbelievable. Yeah. Um, what do you make what of Cristiano th- Ronaldo starting, by the way? Uh, a bit odd, I think, because mm. I don't think he really deserves to be starting a Premier League game, the way he's conducted himself, the way he's been playing, really. Um, I think, you know, fair enough, bring him back in and play him against Sheriff in the Europa League. But I think he's got a bit more groveling to do for me personally before you can just let someone back in like that obviously we know Ronaldo's quality is always there it's always an option um, for me he should be a, a super sub for United and nothing more these days in terms of any kind of game where they need to win which is you know this was this was that so yeah a little bit surprised that, that Ten Hag has, has climbed down quite quickly but you know I think it's I think it's been quite an easy win for Ten Hag this situation with Ronaldo because Ronaldo isn't playing well if Ronaldo was playing uh, yeah. well then it would be it would be much harder to justify leaving him out, um, you know, of the game that he walked up against Spurs, wasn't it? Leaving him out of that game um, and much harder to punish him off the back of that kind of uh, insubordination, whatever you want to call it. But the fact that he hasn't been playing well, the United have been playing quite well without him, has been an easy way for Ten Hag to kind of stamp his authority, show that he's someone not to be messed with. Um so I hope he kind of sticks to his guns on that really and doesn't doesn't climb down so quickly. But yeah, I- Sorry, go on. At the same time, I think he has had a conversation with Ronaldo where he's basically said, look, I'm the manager. I'd call the shots. If you can't accept being a bit part player in this squad anymore or part of the squad and not someone who's going to start every week, then get out. So I think he's got that from Ronaldo now and he's kind of put his foot down and there you go. Yeah, maybe there's a bit of pride in it too because I don't really think he wants to sour not only his career, but obviously his Manchester United reputation as well, Mm. leaving unceremoniously, whether it be in January or at the end of the season, um, just sort of not really being played. Yeah, you're right though. It felt a bit odd. It wasn't as if, oh God, you know, we got to put Ronaldo back in the team. He's so good. He's scoring so many goals, blah, blah, blah. It was almost like, all right, he could be available again, but he doesn't need to start. Yeah. He didn't need to start the West Ham game. That was a yeah. little bit of an odd one. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I thought in the end, they they probably did deserve a point Um West Ham. They had a great chance just before Declan Rice's shot with Jared Bones in the middle and sort of missed missed the ball, missed hit mm. it. It was, yeah, it was all a bit, a bit carnage at the end. You could tell by the final whistle, there was a bit of relief. I felt the relief because the pressure was building. I thought Mikel Antonio actually was was pretty good when he came on. Yeah. Um, right, we'll move away from the Premier League and to La Liga, where there were two actually stunning games, a lot of drama <laughs> going on. First yeah. off, Cadiz beat Atletico Madrid 3-2 <laughs> with a last-minute winner. Um, I, I, I don't quite know where to begin or end with this. Maybe we should start <laughs> at the end. With, with the winner in 99th minute because of all the injury time. 
Um, is this like something that will pain Simeone even more considering they fought back from 2-0 down, you know, 80th minute onwards, they managed to bag two to then go and let it slip again? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's been a, a rough time for them recently, haven't it? Been, been knocked out of the Champions League and um, just not playing well at all in La Liga. Going 2-0 down here uh, was was not great. You know, Kadita in the sort of lower part of the table, not play, playing particularly well. And uh, it's a bit of a bad luck to be to be kind of trailing to a team like that. Yeah. Then uh, Simeone, I don't know if you would call it swallowing his pride or what, but he puts Jao Felix on who scores twice to get them back on level terms right at the end. And the second goal, uh, he scores a second goal. It's a really good strike yeah. and doesn't really sort of celebrate it. And they're all going, come on, back to the halfway line. Let's get a winner. Let's get a winner. And Simeone's like saying, back to the halfway line, come on. Like, and then to lose the game from that point is like, oh, that's oh. that hurts, that hurts. And there was a, a, maybe a slight suspicion of handball about the goal. Mm. I don't think it was the third Cadiz goal. And uh, you saw Simeone kind of like, there's a shot of him on the touchline just like touching his arm like that as if to say handball ref but it was just like so desperate you could see the desperation in his eyes and like yeah it's just, I thought uh, the exact that's so funny I thought the exact yeah. same thing that he was just thinking of anything he was like guys Please. can we can we disallow yeah. this just to say anything check VAR check this like it looked a little bit desperate I think the the warning signs are there for Atletico Madrid because they conceded in what was it 28 seconds or something yeah. ridiculous <laughs> Like, this isn't just they've had a bad luck game. They've been poor quite recently. I think Diego Simeone was asked about it in a press conference recently. He said there is no way he's leaving. He will fight to the end. I think his contract is 2024. Well, yeah, he's the best paid manager in the world, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> of all the kind of weird things I think about football in the future, an Atletico Madrid without Diego Simeone just doesn't sit right. Mm. Just, I can't imagine someone else there and I can't imagine him somewhere else. No, I, they need it, I think, at this point. I think it's gone on a bit too long now for me personally. I thought maybe last season was the end of an era, really, for Atletico. You know, they've had some brilliant success under Simeone, winning the title, getting to the Champions League final. You know, they've been a great team to watch at, t- at times. I don't think they're a great team to watch at the moment, particularly. I don't think it's mm. working very well for them. And you look at some of the players they've got as well. You know, there's a really talented squad there. I'm not saying they should be winning the, the league, but... And they had a tough Champions League group, but I'd still say getting out of that group should have been doable yeah. for them. Yeah. I mean, they had a bit of a, a moment of their own earlier in the group stage, didn't they, where they got a 110th minute uh, or 100th minute uh, winning goal, whatever. So yeah, that's true. kind of come back to bite them this week. So, yeah, I, I think for everybody, it would probably be best if they uh, parted company with Simeone at the end of the season now. Um, I, I, I could not imagine who's there. But yeah I, can't, yeah, I almost can't see it happening either. Like, yeah, it's... It seems that they've been very loyal to him and he's been very loyal to them, yeah. which is always good to see in football. But you have to know when to say goodbye as well, I think. And for me, it's, it should have gone past that point now. I did chuckle a little bit because uh, one of our listeners wrote in last week, do you remember, saying, has Yao Felix been a bit of a, a bit of a flop because of <laughs> yeah. the money? I'm not saying he's not now, but when I saw that he'd scored two, I think the first one was given as an own goal. Yeah, it was he, like a yeah. deflected in, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 I just thought to myself, that's quite funny. We were discussing how he didn't live up to the price tag. And there he is, single-handedly, trying to drag them back into it. <laughs> yeah. Only to concede so late. Um, elsewhere, it wasn't actually a very good result for either Madrid as Real Madrid drew one all at home to, I'm going to say Girona. Is that me trying to be too Spanish? Girona? Th- it might be. Yeah, I think it's Girona because it's Catalan, isn't it? And I think they pronounce the G's mm, properly. Look at properly. you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can't say that, can you? <laughs> 
properly, like we English do. Yeah, oh, God. My, my, my favourite uh, terrace chant, I don't know if every club sings this, but City fans certainly used to sing it. Whenever any sort of team came from the South or whatever, people used to sing, if you can't talk proper, shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Which is an improper way of saying it to begin with. I don't yeah. know if you were aware of the irony of that. I suspect not, but... <laughs> Oh my god, I love it. Wow, Manchester, what a place. Yeah, um, yeah it was one all with uh, Vinicius Jr. scoring and then an even later penalty from Christian Stuani, who I believe is 38. Middlesbrough legend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> once of Middlesbrough fame. <laughs> um, it was a bit of a contentious decision. I was watching on the replay, the handball. Uh, was it Rudiger? No, um, it was Asensio, uh, I think, wasn't it? Asensio, Asensio even. Yeah. There's this rule that if it touches another body part first, then it's not a handball. I thought it was and, absolute bullshit, this decision, to be honest. Yeah, I didn't even think it chest. hit his hand. I'm not and even sure it hit on. his hand at any point. Like, I'm not sure there was a clear angle which showed it hit in his hand. And Ancelotti's got in a bit of trouble because he, he said after the game that it was like um, something like it was the referee's invention, basically. <laughs> Just kind of <laughs> called the game into disrepute or whatever. Yeah. And he, he could get a four-match ban for it. The, the Spanish FA are kind of reviewing his comments and ask him to explain them and whatever. But when you look at the, the referee's gone over to the monitor, I don't see what he's seen to go, that's a penalty. Well, uh, from what I saw, and I, I tried to watch it as slow as humanly possible, it's hit, his arm's kind of in a weird, like he's almost tensing his bicep position. Mm. It hits his chest and hits his arm. Now, I completely, my understanding of the rule is if it touches another body part first, then it's not actually a handball. But on closer inspection, it appears to brush his arm first, then his chest, then his arm again. Or yeah. maybe I'm on the side of the referee and I'm completely making it up. <laughs> well, the, the problem is like that rule about if it touches another part of your mm. body first and then hits your hand. Last season, that was a handball. So like, it's just so yeah, confusing. They're making, yeah, they're making so many changes all the time to the rules that it's hard to keep up with. Even the players don't really seem to know what the rules are. I think Courtois said after the game that he doesn't know what the handball rule is anymore. So if even the players and the managers mm. don't really know, then I'm not saying how are the referees expected to know, but it just shows that there's a bit too complex and maybe we should try and simplify it a little bit or maybe stop tweaking things so much and just kind of stick to something for a little while. Do you think in the, in the I was going to say Stockley Park, I'm not sure what the Spanish equivalent of Stockley Park <laughs> is for, for the VAR. Stockley um, Parko. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something like that. Um, do you reckon they've got a rule book to hand? Because I, I love the idea of someone seeing it and quickly flicking through and being like, oh shit, <laughs> I've got last year's version. I need the updated PDF or whatever. And they don't actually know what's going on because wouldn't it be really... I feel like the referee would be getting away without doing his job because they'd be reading the rules to him and he'd be like, well, you're in my ear telling me it is, so I'm not going to argue with you. You know, it's like having someone in your ear when you're doing an exam at school. You kind of <laughs> yeah. just got to take their word for it. And then I feel like that takes away from the referee's job. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it should be a pretty, pretty, pretty much an open shut case, yeah. a handball, shouldn't it really? But it's still very complicated. People still... Can't, you know, how many times do you watch a game and you see something happen and you go, I think that's going to be given as a handball, but I'm not really sure. And you can usually tell when something's going to change in the Premier League at least because the referees get called over to the monitor. Yeah. And that pretty much always means they're going to change their mind. Um, I don't know if it's the same in in, in Spain or, or Italy or other leagues uh, in that regard, but yeah, I'm just... <laughs> I, I confused like by it all now. Yeah. When they run over though, it does feel to me like... There isn't, you're right, it's going to be changed. There isn't an option. It's not like the referee is saying, right, I see what you're saying. 
but here's why I'm not going to give it. It's like VAR being like, you've missed this. It's a penalty. Here's why. This isn't up for debate. Yeah. I just don't get the whole rigmarole around it. It takes far too long to ever really sort anything out. Um, I do love Carlo Ancelotti. uh, Sorry, the Spanish FA saying, we'll ask him to explain his comments. (laughs) What's there to explain? You've heard what he said. (laughs) Like... Someone going, well, what do you mean by that? And he's like, I mean literally what I said. That's always part of the disciplinary procedure, isn't it? I'd love to be in one of those disciplinary (laughs) hearings. I bet there's some cracking stuff gets said in there. You know, you could uh, you could write an incredible book about that if you were flying on one of those things. Yeah, yeah. Just hear some absolute nonsense that goes on in a bloody FA meeting. Uh, There was a little bit. I was going to say controversial decision, but actually. The end of the game, Real Madrid were a little bit annoyed that a goal was ruled out. It looked as though Girona goalkeeper Palagasniga did have his hand on the ball. And it of turns Spurs out fame, by the of, way. of Spurs fame, Spurs and Fulham. And Southampton. Yeah. Um, that you don't have to have two hands on the ball. Because that's what I thought when I first saw it. It's as long as you have one hand on the ball and the ball is touching another surface. So it could be the ground or your other hand or any part of your body. Mm. And that was the rule. So See, that's that's bullshit to me as well, I think, <laughs> to be honest. I, I know that's the rule and fair yeah. enough, but that, that's a rule that probably should change, I think. That's very, being very protective of, of goalkeepers yeah. to be that. I, th- I think two hands makes more sense, personally. That means you're in control of the ball. That's but, what I think. Yeah. You're in possession of the ball because he basically had his ball on top his hand on top of the ball, which was on the ground, and then Asensio kicked it in. So You could be so far away from the ball and just reach out and just put a hand on it, and it's like, okay, that's my ball now. Yeah, even though you couldn't do anything with it, because you'd have to... It's kind of at odds with how football is played, isn't it? Because if you've got one foot on the ball, someone can take the ball off you. It's not a foul, is it? (laughs) So, like... It might be. Who knows? Let's see where the rules go. (laughs) Football's getting less and less violent. Anyway... It means that, uh, yeah, Real Madrid only picked up one point and now they do stand top of La Liga still. Um, but Barcelona made up some ground with the last minute winner from from Robert Lewandowski. Uh, that title race, I would say it's interesting because we actually have a title race in La Liga <laughs> yeah. rather than it just being Real Madrid. But at the end of the day, it's still Barca, it's still Real Madrid. They are nine and eight points respectively um, ahead of Atletico Madrid, who are level with Real Betis. Real Sociedad a little bit further behind. Uh, leaving club football though, sorry, even domestic football, and we will talk about the Champions League coming up this week. There are some big games in match day six. There's some stuff to sort out. Uh, we will go with, what should we start with? Liverpool against Napoli. I saw that um, Napoli need five goals to get the record of the most goals ever scored in a Champions League group Oh, stage. really? Yeah. Oh. So they're on 21. Uh, Bayern are on 25, so they need five outright. Are they going to get five at Anfield, or is that <laughs> utterly ridiculous? I mean, it's unlikely, but then, you know, stranger things have happened. I wouldn't have said Napoli would have beaten 4-1 in the, the game in Naples, yeah. the, you know, at the start of the group. So yeah. you never know. Um, and Napoli could also, I think there's only something like t- 10 teams have ever won um, all six group stage games. And the last Italian team to do it was, was the great Milan team of 92-93. So Napoli could become the first team wow. to do that, which and they're on a 13 match winning streak in all competitions now. Unbelievable. So they won 4-0 so well at the weekend. Them. Yeah. Sassuolo. Victor Osimhen grabbed a hat trick. Farad Kalia grabbed the other goal as well. Um, they look in ridiculous form. And I would say Liverpool should be worried. But like we mentioned at the top of the show, this is Champions League Liverpool. Um, so I 
kind of expect them to win. They've got actually quite a tough week. They're at home to Napoli on Tuesday and then they travel to Spurs on Sunday evening. Um, a lot of injuries, this, that and the other. What do we see happening here, Dan? If I don't you know. Can Liverpool win the group still? Or or is that is it is it signed uh, and sealed? Napoli top Liverpool second. Yes, team, if right? they yeah, well they're three points behind Napoli. So if they win if they reverse the four one, so if they win four nil, um mm. then Liverpool will, will have okay. a better head to head. Uh, if they I win mean, I think yeah. I think for them they just need a boost now, don't they? They just mm. need um to bounce back quickly from that Leeds game, show some fight, show some hunger, show some good play and win or lose it's not no, that important yeah. I guess but I, I no I guess they need to win really just for the just for themselves at this point but, but it won't really mean anything but yeah it, because it won't mean anything do you think maybe this is a chance for it sounds ridiculous a Klopp to rest a few players in the Champions League if they don't need the win and there's a big game against yeah, Spurs you probably you might as well really because mm. like like you say win or lose it doesn't really matter too much you know, it might be a good opportunity to give some players who haven't played that much the minutes mm. and give them a chance to show that what they could do, kind of increase the competitive nature in the squad. Perhaps that's going to be a little bit stale. Um, so, yeah, if I was Liverpool, I'd be really hoping for a win here, just just to feel just a bit of get a, get a bit of feel good factor back. But it, doesn't, thought, it doesn't matter. Go I on. thought you were going to say just to feel something. Just to feel like, something. That's dreary. <laughs> we'll get Joel on later in the week to tell us whether he yeah. feels anything anymore. Yeah. <laughs> There's also Rangers Ajax in that group. Um, Rangers could have an absolute shocker by losing every single every match. Game. Yeah. That's not, yeah, that's not great for them. It's also not great for Ajax. Only picked up three points. Uh, elsewhere, mm. there's Bayern against Inter Milan. Okay, that's a bit of a dead rubber because Barcelona are the ones out in that group. But there is a mm-hmm. rather interesting group in Group D. Uh, Tuesday night, right, let me reel off what's going on. Spurs, eight points. Sporting, seven points. Frankfurt, seven points. Marseille, six. Aside from Spurs, who can't finish bottom due to Sporting or Frankfurt having to take points off each other, Marseille, a bottom, could finish top. Um, and everyone else could sort of go all the way up in the air. Is this what we want to see in the Champions League or is this for a group where no one is actually that good? I mean, I think the Champions League group stage is is quite boring for the most part, really. I think Mm. like, you know, City's group, City have drawn the last two games nil-nil and finished top of the group still. (laughs) Like, that shouldn't be happening really. You know, they've just just sort of eased the way through it. And I think you look at this this group, Tottenham, Marseille, Sporting and Frankfurt, when that draw was made, I didn't think, oh, that's a group to be looking forward to. You know, there's some great games there. I thought that's a bit of sort of blancmange, really. Mm. That's, <laughs> But we're, we're now into the into the position where we're going into the last game and anything could happen. It's four pretty evenly matched sides. Um, Spurs only need a draw, don't they, to finish top. Is, it, Is that right? A um, uh, 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 draw to go through. Oh, yeah. Um, but they'll, win to be, they'll win to get top, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, well, if they draw and the uh, Frankfurt Sportings a draw, then yeah, Spurs finish top. It's very, mm. very precarious, I think is the word. Yeah. Uh, Marseille don't have home fans, though. Oh, they really? Be, yeah, we were a game behind closed doors, which I was I was thinking earlier. I wonder if this, because I, I was reading that Marseille have won one game in the last two or three months at home. Really, really poor home form. They've got brilliant fans, but they are quite notorious for getting on the back of the team. So that if they were there, they'd either push the team on yeah. um, or they'd 
jump on their back and that kind of wouldn't work in Marseille's favour. So maybe because they're not there, it might actually help them a little bit, but their Champions League record normally is is absolutely woeful. <laughs> You'd like to think that Spurs maybe, maybe be able to pick up one point there. Well, yeah. certainly I would anyway. Uh, the rest of the games, we've got Manchester City against Sevilla, like you mentioned. Not really Pointless. too much. Yeah, not really too much. They should much just be able to on. shake hands on a nil-nil draw there and just say, let's not even bother. Like, yeah. <laughs> just, everyone stay at home. Yeah. Uh, Chelsea need a draw no they do not need a draw to finish top they're already finishing top top, because of Milan Um, and lastly there's a rather interesting one in the PSG Benfica Juve Maccabi Haifa group because last week we were talking about Juventus dropping out this that and the other they're so terrible by the lines of the Europa League it could get worse Everyone seems to gloss over the fact that if Maccabi Haifa managed to better Juventus's result, who are home to PSG, um, and Maccabi Haifa are hosting Benfica, Juve will be out altogether. <laughs> Not even, oh, fine, we'll accept Europa League. Yeah. Gone. I, would, I wonder if they want Europa League that much, though. Like, you know, I know they've mm. not been the most successful club in Europe over the years, and uh, maybe a, a trophy would be a nice thing for Allegri to get them uh, to kind of show that his his return to the club hasn't been a complete waste of everyone's time but I wonder if maybe just getting out of it wouldn't actually be such a bad thing for them really I mean I'd be surprised if it happened but like like you say uh, it's with them playing PSG um, it's possible that Maccabi Haifa could could just sneak in and They've had a you know a decent crack here this year, haven't they? It'd mm. always be quite nice to see them end up in the Europa League and continue their adventure because that is a proper kind of group of death from their perspective, and they've actually given a decent account of themselves. So, good luck to them, I say. Yeah, well, Juventus have improved a little bit in recent weeks in the league. They are actually only two points off fourth. Um, yeah. I've only conceded seven goals in the league, so they are weirdly enough despite the fact we talk about them not doing so well <laughs> it doesn't some stats don't look so bad uh, as for PSG actually they won 4-3 at the weekend and Mbappe, Neymar and Messi all scored again um, it's getting quite ridiculous isn't it Yeah, it's getting to one of those points where I feel a little bit annoyed most football fans will go you can't just put the best players on the pitch <laughs> and expect it to work that's just silly and now it's kind of working do you almost feel a little bit like shit it's annoying well, I will do until they get knocked out of the Champions League by someone. <laughs> and I'm not saying they definitely will. Maybe they will go in and yeah. win it this year. But that is kind of what everyone, and it's the same with City, what everyone kind of mm. hangs the hat on. Oh, they've bought all these players. They've spent all this money. They've got this team. But if they can't get over the line in that competition, then mm. what has it all been for? And that's the kind of stakes that you play when you are PSG, when you are Man City, when you spend that kind of money. And uh, everyone's just rooting for you to fail, which I think is fair enough and absolutely fine. I, weirdly enough, I was thinking the World Cup could have a big effect on PSG. Because uh, realistically, we could see each of those forwards with Argentina, Brazil and France in the semi-finals. Mm. One of them's got to meet the other one at some point. <laughs> I'm not saying it's going to be like Rooney and Ronaldo, you know, getting Rooney sent off in, when was that, 2006? Yeah, and I was so, there, yeah. yeah, all that nonsense when they came back in the training ground and wouldn't speak to each other <laughs> or whatever. Um, but yeah, I feel like we'll see after the World Cup... Uh, there could be, I'm not saying there's going to be a, a dressing room split or divide, but I can imagine that quite a few players, there's quite a strong um, Brazilian uh, core at that team. They used to be quite a strong Argentinian team. Paredes and Di Maria also left in the summer. Um, we, 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 and obviously France as well. We could see a little bit of, there may be a little bit of tension. Maybe I'm just making <laughs> that up. Maybe yeah, I'm yeah. sowing the seeds for debate. Uh, what we will do though is end finally on the big question talking of those of Lionel Messi now the rumours that I've seen the latest that Inter Miami oh yeah seem to be in pole position ahead of Barcelona 
what would you do if you were Lionel Messi? Would you go <laughs> ride off into the sunset that is into Miami, enjoy a few years in MLS and retire? Or do you give Barcelona one more go in a homecoming? I, I always feel a bit disappointed when players end up in MLS and, you know, no disrespect to our mm. American listeners and, you know, the MLS, no disrespect mm. to that either. The ML, you shouldn't say the MLS because that's saying the Major League Soccer, isn't it? It's just MLS, I, yeah. Yeah, it's like saying the El Clasico. I hate myself. Like, sorry <laughs> about that. Take it back. MLS is, uh, you know, it's not the best stand in the world. It's getting better. and But I, I just think always think it's a bit of a waste when a player like that goes there at the end of their career. You know, I think Messi, like we, we talked about a few weeks ago, the poetic way for him to end his career now will be ended up back at Barcelona or even back at like Newell's old boys in Argentina. Mm. Like even that would be that would be better. You can live in Miami when you finish, Leo. You can do whatever <laughs> you fucking want in two or three years. You can live anywhere. Like you don't have to go and play a shit standard of football in a league which is like, I don't know, it's not very ethical, I don't think, in the way that they kind of like have these designated players and pay them mm. loads of money and then pay the bog standard uh, players who play in the league like significantly lower than them. Yeah. Maybe ethical is not the, not the right word, but it just doesn't sit right with me really as a, as a model um, for how you should uh, build a football league. So like, yeah, one of our colleagues made the joke at work today that Messi was probably already always wanted to play for Phil Neville. And, <laughs> and I'm sure David Beckham's probably got some influence on this and I'm sure yeah. he'd have a lovely time if he went to Inter Miami. But for me, it just, it just seems like a bit of a waste of the last year or so what, of his career. Really. What if Messi's kind of seen what's happened to Ronaldo back at United and is thinking, ah, I don't want that to happen to me at Barcelona? Maybe, yeah. And I wouldn't blame him if that was the case. I mean, Barca are a little bit of a shambles or- organisationally at the moment, mm. aren't they? Um, off the pitch particularly. Maybe that's something that he wants to steer clear of. Uh, so, yeah, for me, I, I don't think he should go there, mm. but I understand why. what a huge boost for the league it would be and for, for into Miami and why they would be mm. very keen to have that. And it would be good for American soccer fans to be able to watch yeah. Lionel Messi in the flesh. I just think it'd be a bit stupid. Or go there when you retire, like Dan said. Take some yeah. advice. I always like the Edison Cavani retirement plan. I've said he's going back to his ranch in Uruguay to ride horses. Yeah. You know, it's, it's something about that. Yeah, I was like, all right, mate, you you do what you want. <laughs> As actually for Messi returning to, to Barcelona, obviously playing under former teammate Xavi, there was a rumour that they were looking to bring in back Luis Enrique after the World Cup. There was some chat about that a few yeah. weeks ago. I've not heard anything more about it. Though, I think so it I think might it just was, be... Uh, it was bullshit, but yeah. Paper talk. Look at me spewing bullshit. That's a great place to end <laughs> it then. Of course, that's not what you would do, actually, if you were Lionel Messi into Miami or back to Barcelona or stay at PSG. We didn't even mention that, although his contract is up, I believe. It was a two-year deal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he you could still tweet. make his dream move to Man City and play on the Pep yeah. Guardiola again. <laughs> he could still do that. There's still time, Leo. Uh, you could tweet us at OneFootball, at Dan or at Matt underscore Frodick. Yes, I still haven't figured out how to change my Twitter handle. <laughs> uh, you could also email us. The address is podcast at OneFootball.com. That's all for myself and Dan. We'll be back later in the week. Um, Thursday. Yep. Thursday to discuss all the goings on in the Champions League and, of course, to preview the weekend's football as well. Uh, until then, thanks so much for listening and we will see you soon.